Welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we continue on with part two with pancreatic cancer survivor, Bill DeFord. You know, I was guaranteed that my kids were adults, healthy, college educated, or otherwise prepared for the world. And again, I'm greedy. I don't, I'm not ready to go. But by the same token, if I went, you know, I'm glad it was me and not them. I'm glad it was when they weren't 10 and eight. I'm glad for a lot of things that have been blessings and that's helped me, you know, in the darkest, deepest, you know, most painful or otherwise days, I've reached back to that and said, you know, that's that's a part of my philosophy of living. And the other thing, Dino, is I've watched a lot of people. I think you really have to live before you can die. And I can say I've done that again with great greed because I'm not ready to go yet. I'm still digging deep, but I've watched a lot of people who haven't really lived. And then the sadness of that death would be that they haven't seen the richness of I've, as I've seen it in relationships or other, you know, parts of their life. And so, you know, powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very powerful. So it's selfless is what I just wrote down, you know, living this selfless life of not, like you said, you know, you're glad it's you and not your wife or your kids, which is selfless act. Right. Which is just fascinating. I was able to put a voice to it. I I think that's been my experience with my friends. I think that's what people feel like. And Mm. I think it's natural for husbands and fathers to think that way. For whatever reason, whatever I'd done up to that point, if I could say it immodestly, that I could put a voice to it immediately was profoundly helpful. But again, I didn't start making that investment in August of 2016. No, you've been doing this throughout My philosophy of living from before I got married was I just want to be the best husband and father that I could be and to be a positive and spiritually uplifting presence in other people's lives. That's been my mantra. I measure myself that way when I reflect, you know, when I go to bed at night, when I reflect on my day. That led me to these places. So I'm fortunate that whatever I did up to that point helped me to put a voice to it and it became immediate. I didn't have to start to dig deep and reflect on what is my purpose in life. I had known it. You had it. Yeah. Yeah. It culminated in that minute in the ER after the wise guy fireman said that to the ER doc, that rapid succession of thoughts, you know, helped me. And since then, I hope that, and I think it has been, they've said it's been the, the dozens or so people that I've talked about on this journey, that's been helpful to them. I, the, the chief friend of mine, for some reason, I just felt compelled to have a really, really blunt remark to something he had said. And I said, are you worried about leaving your son without a dad? And his son was nine years old. And, and I went on for like 15 seconds. And Dino, he said to me, Bill, he goes, nobody has ever shared that with me, but that's exactly what it is. And I said to him, I go, Chris, I go, listen, man, I go, you know, you're a great dad. And what you got to understand is your legacy will live on in that kid. If you go earlier than you had anticipated, you know, if you go when you're 80, your legacy is going to be there where they go when you're 45 or 50. But we had that inspired this whole conversation that I felt I took a great risk at having with them. 
But it turned out to be one of those moments for him that I was fortunate to have had myself. And, um, you know, but again, you're not going to read that in any book. No. You're not going to read somebody's got to give you permission to die or you've got to give your per, yourself permission to die or, you know. Um, Do you, me you mentioned something just now reflecting daily and I had a note here. Do you meditate daily? Yeah, you know, it's sort of interesting. Because you're talking about the sleep and I, I you, know, yeah. been, you know, you read stuff, you hear stuff, you know, about like, hey, the first thing you should do when you get up is meditate and that just clears your mind. The first thing I usually do is, well, first I go to the bathroom. Right, right. <laughs> just like right. probably like 99% of the population. Right. Um, and then I go out and I try to run or I work out, yeah. you know, and try to just get that, you know, that mind going and stuff. But um, how has that like, so like in Second part of that question. So one is, do you meditate now? But then two, did you do that before? Right. Or did that start, you know, after? And yeah. also, like you said, reflecting at night. <clears throat> it sounds like that was like a common practice that you did throughout your life, not just in the last two years. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that goes back before meeting my wife. And I, I, I'm not a church going uh, person, although I, I really believe We can that, bring up religion. This yeah, well, church is for sinners, not for saints, yeah. and uh, I probably should go. <laughs> but uh, somewhere along the way, I started praying the rosary a long, long time ago, because that's what I knew. I, yeah. If I was a Muslim, I would use their beads. But Correct. But anyway, so part of my reflection became, was born out of what I thought my purpose in life was. And there's times when I've reflected or prayed, going back decades, where I've sort of reminisced about, geez, you know, God, is this my purpose in life? And at one of those points, really in a magnificent way, I didn't hear God's voice or anything uh, cr crazy. Not that that's in itself crazy, but at some point it echoed back to me. So wait a minute, you want to be the best husband and father that you can be and be a positive and spiritually uplifting presence in other people's lives. And you're asking me if there's more. How about if you do that? And if most people would do that, it'd be a whole lot different planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just stick with that, yeah. right? So that's what I did. So so that, the meditation, the, the new wave now is sort of mindfulness. I've been doing that for a long time. And again, I don't know whether it's a God-given, uh, you know, tendency or whatever it is or where I learned it from people along the way. I will take no credit for having invented it, but this is what that's done for me is I've been doing it for a long time and it's been in the vein of constant self-improvement, self-mastery. And I think it was born out of, Dino, when you see somebody and you don't uh, admire them, there's some things in them that you think ought to change. What I did was I always turned that to be, if I'm looking at Dino Varelli and I'm saying, well, I don't like that about Dino, he should change that. In some way, it was an admission that I had nothing left to work on in myself. And so that turned itself to be, well, don't worry about Dino, you got enough to work on. Right. Yourself. And if I'm worried about Dino, then I'm somehow admitting I have nothing left to do here, which is completely not true. And then that morphed into, and if I did have room or time left over to change Dino or Sam or anybody else, then the best way to do that is be the best role model because nobody wants to hear, I think you ought to, whether it's my wife or my kids. So the power of modeling was going to be significant. And so again, the evolution of that became when I meditated or prayed or whatever you call it at night, however mindful I was throughout the day, it became uh, a real hard thing personally. It's hard to say to yourself, ah, you really flubbed that. But I became an expert privately in my own mind at doing that. There have been times, and I've done this every night for a long, long time, that I always start with, 
I always like to end on the good. So I'd start with what could I have done today better? What could I have improved upon? Mm -hmm. And then I'd end it with what did you do pretty well? And so I've acted on every positive impulse that's entered my mind. But in all that time, Dino, uh, I've never not had a day where I've said I could have done that better, small or large. But there have been a handful of days where I've had to dig really deep to say, what did you do meaningful? (laughs) You know? And even through the cancer, my darkest days, you know, my wife was off at school when she went back to work. I would say to myself, just run a load of laundry, you know, and I, you know, the distribution of work in my house, my wife does most of that, but I'm plenty capable. But I'd say, just run a load of laundry or do, you know, a load of dishes or something Mm. like that. And at the end of the day, I'd feel like a freaking hero because I did some nonsensical thing. But Again, that evolved into me at the end of each day saying, what could I have done better? And to be critical of yourself in that way with the eye towards self-improvement or self-mastery is profoundly powerful. And people don't realize the power of it. Now you can listen to the meditation tapes Mm. and you can do mindfulness. For some reason, I came upon that. Again, maybe my background in health, fitness, and wellness because there's always been a behavioral mental health component my undergraduate work at Springfield College, where I was a health and wellness major in the beginning before I changed to become an English major. I don't know what confluence of circumstances brought me that. But when people ask me, even now with basic health and wellness exercise, I say there's nothing more profoundly powerful than self-discipline geared toward whatever your goal happens to be, whether it's I want to run, you know, 730 miles for a 5K or a 10K it's having that goal. And for me, mine have been in spirit, mind, and body, which I learned at Springfield College. They've been all inclusive. So nobody knows my darkest times at night any more than I would know yours, where I say to myself, man, you really goof that up. But on the other hand, to be able to act on positive impulses as a counterpoint to that, to say, but I did that. You know, one of the most memorable days in this in this part of the adventure the last two years has been you know, my wife coming home from a tough day. She's a middle school language arts teacher, which I tell firemen all the time. You, you don't have courage. Yeah. My wife and her peers have courage, courage right? right? Teaching kids. Yeah, teaching kids at a very turbulent time in their lives biochemically. But some of my most powerful memories, and one in particular was, you know, my wife coming home from a tough day. And I was green all day. It was tough. And I said to myself, I was sitting in the recliner and we were just reminiscing, watching the evening news. And I just said, I developed this multiple personality disorder where if I started counting back down from 10 to do something, then I would just get up out of the chair. So I would say, you ought to, you know, like this other voice in my head, 10, nine. And I'd be like, oh, I got to get up out of the chair. Well, this one day I just said, get up and go get the foot bath and bring it down with a towel over your shoulder Sure enough, I go upstairs, I come downstairs, and my lovely wife, Lisa, says, what are you doing? And I said, you just looked like you could use a nice foot massage, you know, tonight. And I sat down on the floor next to her, and she put her foot, you know, her feet in this foot bath. You know, it took everything I had. She wouldn't have known it. I was smiling literally, you know, 10 minutes at the most. It's not a real complicated thing, but soaked her feet, massaged her feet, dried her feet, put lotion on them or whatever, And I felt like I had rescued people in a fire. I felt like I had, you know, gone to the ends of the earth. Like I worked for Mother Teresa for a couple of days in Calcutta. It was, it was that powerful. But again, people don't realize it's in the smaller, finer moments of your life. 
again, unknown. Now I've publicized this, so I've just taken the magic away from it because I've made people believe I'm some sort of hero, which I'm not. But, but I want people to know the power of that. So when you're sitting in chemo and there's somebody next to you who's not been married for 29 years like I have and have been a fireman and have the family that I've had, that you could extend a hand to them empathetically. And it's not about you for that moment where you say, come on, be strong just for today. And they're going to go home and pull the shades and be in a dark room without all of that. Those are magical moments that, again, you, I've like to believe that 99% of the time they've been selfless acts, but from a practical standpoint, you know, at the end of the day, when you're saying, I feel good about having helped that other person, I think it becomes more, the return is so much greater, greater than yeah. what you extended. And I, I always said that about Mother Teresa, she's probably one of the most selfless human beings who ever lived on the planet, but she was nurturing her own soul in ways that people you know, don't often don't ascribe to yeah. that, right? So I know you to be nothing but completely generous and altruistic and and whatever as a part of this Project Purple, but you're honoring your dad, you're honoring the people like me you've met, and that's going to be, you know, sort of the legacy of your whole thing. From a practical standpoint, I have shared that with people where I've said, you just got to look at the power of things. You know, so from an athletic standpoint, yeah. When you've gone on that run or you've seen that grandfather go by, or in my case, the grandmother pushing a yeah. stroller, those are powerful moments that I think, again, whether you get mindfulness tapes or you meditate or whatever they are, they can be found every day and every hour. And and those are, to go back to what you said, the power of the mind and the spirit is immeasurable. They're starting to quantify it and say, you know, you're you're your sense of spirituality or your community of faith has a power beyond our knowledge, you know, like chemo yeah. or whatever. I, I, I believe in that. And, uh, and it's helped me in immeasurable ways. And again, that thing with my wife was, you know, gosh, at the end of that day, I was, you know, when I was making peace and reflecting and meditating, I thought my wife knows nothing other than, you know, those moments now she would That's know. That's pretty that. magical, though. Now she yeah. knows, of course, because we're talking yeah. And she about would it. know that I was green and all the rest. Yeah, and, you know, whatever. That's so powerful, Bill. And you know, I think um, hearing you talk about that and doing something for someone else, as small as it may be, like you said, at being at the chemo and just extending a hand or talking to that person is so powerful and you know i think if the, if everyone thought that way the world would be so much of a better place yeah and how but, blessed am i to have been given that gift somewhere in my history where i came to that i didn't invent that there have been plenty no. of you know people who have done that before but the other thing that i think is important to talk or speak to here is that that's the patient that's the one who's been diagnosed the role of the caregiver in the family is tremendously more complex than that. You know, if I die and I believe I'm going to go to heaven or something, it's done for me. My wife's got to find a way to live, you know, with the memory and all the rest. And so I think that's important to know. At the end of that day, I described to you that I made peace. And I did one of those fist bumps where I said, you carried yourself with a little dignity. You didn't cry. You went one step beyond it by protecting your wife a little bit, and then you gave her a foot massage, right? Mm -hmm. My wife never had that luxury because she's thinking at the end of the day, did he take his meds? 
Mm-hmm. Is he okay? Is he feeling okay? He moaned and groaned last night. I know he was in pain, but he won't put a voice to it because he's trying to protect me. That's what she lives with. So I would have those moments of, you know, fist, you know, uh, pump or whatever that I, you know, I don't think she's had. And so that's the other important for people to know that the work that you're doing and the direction, you know, you're trying to bring this whole thing in, in your own small way, mm-hmm. which to me is, is really dramatic and meaningful, but you know, the caregiver, the family members and the caregivers have a completely different experience. And, and, you know, again, I'm fortunate that I had no scars in my marriage and my wife mm-hmm. and I have had great communications, but you know, I can't quantify that. For her to say to me, I don't know why I ever became a fireman, you know, to have the crisis of faith that she's yeah. had and what does this all mean? And and I can blurt something back that maybe it was to help Keith through this. You know, that's that could be lost on her because she's still thinking, but us, but 80 yeah. years old, walking on the beach. And we're that kind of couple that, you know, will strive to do that, that it will actually mean something. You know, it's just not at the end of a movie. Uh, but but her experience is different. So anybody out there who's a family member or caregiver, please know that I, I every patient or everybody on the adventure that I've talked to has been sensitive to that. That you know this isn't just about me. This is about your family. Family, yeah. Yeah. So I have a couple questions, and I and I want to ask them. How has pancreatic cancer changed your life, other than the obvious? And the obvious, we say, you know, right the nausea, your lifestyle. Is there anything else that you've seen in your adventure, which I, I have to say, you've said that many times. And thinking about what we just talked about, this mental matrix, when you say the word adventure, the first word that the first thought that comes to my mind is fun. Right. And pos- there's positive in that. So calling it an adventure in my mind is you're saying, Hey, like this, this is not, not to be uh, offensive or disrespectful here. It's fun. Right. This is like, it's an adventure. We're going to get through this. It's like going, like I don't do roller coasters. And to me, that's an adventure. (laughs) So like when my wife says, Hey, we're going to go to, uh, you know, great event or it's, I call it great adventure still up there in Agawam. Right. uh, right Six flags. flags Yeah. yeah. We're going to bring the boys and we're going to go on this adventure up to Six Flags and we're going to ride Superman. I think, oh, shit. Like, I I don't know. How am I going to get the gumption to do this or like the courage to go on this roller coaster? This is an adventure. But you use that word in this journey as an adventure, which I go back to this mental matrix and this positivity. When you say that word, I don't I don't feel as a negative. Right. And I think you captured it. To me, I've I've avoided the temptation that adventure has to be all all pleasure and no pain or fear. And so I climbed Mount Katahdin uh, last summer. Climbed Mount Monadnock six weeks after my surgery. Well, if you go up Mount Katahdin and do the A-Ball Trail there, you get up, there's knife edge. Well, there's no part of the A-Ball Trail that's not when you get to the top, especially above treeline. I mean, you're bouldering at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's highly technical, but it's certainly not just the positive parts of adventure that people would think about, you know, and just like in your athletic pursuits, there's a lot of pain and discomfort oh, yeah. when you're running. Yeah. I mean, it's still not say, easy. Yeah, you'd still say it's an adventure, but yeah. I, I viewed it like you have, which is it's all encompassing. When I was a little kid, I got bit by a dog and I have these two scars on my lip that are barely noticeable. One of my brothers had said to me years ago, why didn't you ever have those taken care of? Or why didn't a plastic surgeon handle that? And I said, I don't, 
I want the scars of my life to be a part of the whole picture. So unlike I think most people live in a first world culture like we do, we want it to be all of one and none of the other. When in my experiences, that's made for a exponentially more a greater appreciation for the whole mm-hmm. when it's been, you know, the positive parts of the adventure with the other. So you and I, when we've run or when we've done some athletic pursuit, you know, you think it's almost like a woman in childbirth, you know, after there's some God given thing or whatever, where they for, have forgotten about the pain. That's why they have another child. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. It's the same with when you've run a marathon yeah. or you've done oh, it, yeah. whatever it happens to be. Well, it's the same with this, that if I look back, Listen, it's it's been trying in ways nobody could imagine, but it's heightened my sensitivity toward things in ways that I couldn't have asked for. If I had begged for these things before I'd been diagnosed, they couldn't have been given to me. So my father came from Florida and lived with me for a week in the fall of 2016. And he would not have come up, you know, had it not been for my diagnosis. And he lived with me and he stayed with me and we had great conversations. If I think of the last four months, I'm sad that my brother is gone. You know, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I grieved his death before he died. But what's, what's again, magical in a positive way is I'm not lost on what his presence had been in my life for his entire 53 years. And that'll continue. And so now the same thing. If I think of how many times I gave my wife a foot massage or I rubbed her shoulders, there's no way, Dino, that I can't describe that this has been more powerful. And I think I speak for her when I say for her as well. You know, and so, so those, that's why I say adventure and it's meant to be all inclusive. And, and again, I'm not ignorant of the fact that I could die before I want to, but by the same token, pluck my life, a week of my life and compare it to the billions of people who've ever lived on the planet. And I'd be hard pressed to find somebody who could make the argument that, man, he had it made, you know, he had a great life. And, and like the secret is out now, like, no wonder Bill was always smiling. No wonder he was positive. Look at the life he's had. Look at the beautiful woman and the two children. And he was a freaking fireman and he knows Dino and Sam and yeah. whatever else. You'd be hard pressed to say he hasn't been blessed. Well, that's just a thinking process. That's just how you look at things. So you go to Six Flags and you think I'm terrified of that, but I'm bringing the boys. Maybe they won't be terrified. Or maybe if we do it and the three of us are, you know, or two of us are terrified it's with a sense of elation that, you know, you survived it as well. And, yeah. and that, that's, that's a part of my process too. But yeah. And, I, and uh, as much as I lived in the moment before, you know, August of 2016, there's no way I don't live more in the moment now than I did then. And, you know, those are gifts that if I went to my firehouse, somebody went to work and had a heart attack that day and, or at home and we're trying to tell the family, you know, we're doing everything we can, that acute trauma that I've had the, the great blessing of, you know, 24 months at this point. And again, greedy for more. And I talk with God about that all the time that, hey, listen, I'm in your hands, but I am going to be greedy. And what's going to happen is as soon as my baby girl, my sweet pea gets married, then I'm going to be asking to stay around for grandkids. And the, this won't end. I'm going to be greedy, but I'm in your hands. Uh, but just so you know. You, know, you have every right to be greedy. Yeah, I think so too. And I think he would, you know, he or she would want that, but yeah. What's your definition of pancreatic cancer? Wow. See, you're just so smart. <laughs> yeah, I I put the, I frame this 
in the context of how does a guy who ate right, exercised, didn't smoke, you know, had a drink a month or something with his lovely wife on the couch on date night or something. Uh, I, I view it as a, I've looked at things in terms of the journey, not the destination. And this is part of the journey. And, and so I don't look at it as a negative. I look at it sort of neutrally that, you know, not unlike the scars on my lip from having been bitten by a dog or, you know, the traumas of a run or a hike or a bike or something like that, that uh, it's just a, a wild uh, journey uh, for which I never had greater expectations. So pancreatic cancer to me isn't uh, a negative, a positive, it's sort of neutral, that it, it just is what it is. I'm intrigued by, you know, survivability of anything. You know, how did my dad survive the loss of, you know, how am I processing the loss of, you know, there's really been, I guess, out of anything, a death of my future because it's unknown. I mean, I'm not giving up again, as I said before, but there's been a, there's been less predictability around my future. So you're sort of mourning the death of your future and the pancreatic cancer is the impetus for those thoughts. But you know, whether I develop diabetes or arthritis or dementia or whatever else, it's it's what I knew it to be, you know, when I became a young adult, that there's no guarantees. This is a confirmation of it, that I stacked the deck in my favor, but there's never been any guarantees. And so it is what it is. And as much as I've reconciled it in thought and prayer and meditation, uh, I'm not giving into it. So nobody's going to tell me you have pancreatic cancer and that's a death sentence or it's stage whatever. I've said I have one minute, one hour, one day. What am I going to do with that? And that'll be the meaning. That'll be the legacy that, you know, maybe I teach my kids that, you know, they didn't have anybody like I did when I was younger die at a young age. But how does somebody die with dignity? How do they live with dignity? I developed this concept years ago. I gave a speech to some firemen at their invite. And I developed this concept that, we're all great at what's your last will and testament. You want to protect your family. Well, I turned it and I said, what's your first will and testament? You know, what's your purpose in life? How do you want to live? And so pancreatic cancer has heightened my awareness of that. How am I living? How am I doing this, you know, with my wife? And every night I've said to her, what do you want to do tomorrow? You know, and there's some days when we've worked on some things at our, at our homestead and we enjoy working together and we've laughed and giggled, whether it's on the lathe or we've made some birdhouses for my son's property for before he got married. He had an outdoor wedding at his house. Great times. There's been other times where we've said, hey, you want to just go too? And so a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to take her to New Haven because I didn't want New Haven to just be about Yale. Yeah, yeah. And so I brought her to Long Wharf to the... To the food truck. Festival. Food truck. Yeah. It wasn't to the festival. It was a normal well, lunch truck. truck yeah, they have like the entire. They have the whole line. Yeah, yeah. We line. missed the food truck festival, but guess what? Yeah. Every lunchtime, there's a dozen or more. Yeah. So I brought her New Haven, stuff we would normally eat. Uh, we had a Cuban sandwich and we went to a museum. And so, you know, that's, that's part of the journey. And so, you know. The adventure. It's the adventure. And again, I don't know whether we always said, what do we want to do next week and, you know, make it fun and life should be about fun as well as being a decent person in the world. But, you know, I owe that to pancreatic cancer that, you know, now I say it to my wife every night, what do you want to do tomorrow? And a couple of weeks ago, we just up and went to Vermont for four days or whatever, you know, because we could. And because 
pancreatic cancer heightened our awareness that there's no guarantees, you know? I once read something and, uh, and through one of my careers that I've, many of the couple of careers I've been through in my lifetime. And it was this quote and it said, the amount, the quality of your life is determined by the uncertainty in your life. And the premise around that was, you know, we get so like comfortable right. with what we know. And I always hear this from people like, oh, I don't like my job, but it's comfortable, right? I don't like working out because it's uncomfortable, right? So if you add uncertainty and get uncomfortable, the quality of your life potentially sure. could go up in a positive yeah. way. So it's just kind of interesting, you know, and in, in hearing what you were saying, you know, and how like, you know, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do tomorrow? Yeah. Well, and I think, again, you're sort of unique, which is probably why I like you as much as I do. But people have You're really kissing up for the audience. I don't need to. They probably know you from prior podcasts and the work you're doing. But here's the gift that people don't realize, that that is a real gift. If you can come to that understanding, again, that those are... Those are powerful in ways you can't pay for. I didn't get no. that at Springfield College. I can't pay to go to a seminar. I can't pay you to hear a TED the, Talk. The firehouse. Yeah. And, and, and you I, see that. You see that naturally in that line of work. You do, like right. You more so than you might in other occupations. Yeah, occupation. But I think I worked for Hallmark Cards back when I was a kid. I ended up you know, paying my way through college. I worked third shift. And and the, the rumor at the time had been that the Hall family, that whoever was – at the pinnacle of the organization at that time, drove the stereotypical 67 Chevy because he didn't want to be comfortable. And, I, and I've and i used that same thing. I drive old Volvo wagons. There have been times in my life when I could have done something grander and didn't on purpose. My wife and I have always, if we could say this immodestly, have starved on purpose. We paid for the college educations as we went along, which which meant we drove old cars or whatever. But the richness that that has brought to be uncomfortable and have a right yeah. balance between discomfort and comfort, comfort yeah. again, has done some things for us that you can't pay for. You could listen to Tony Robbins. He could tell yeah. you to do some of these things. But until you put those words into practice, practice, they're not as meaningful. I had a workout on Thanksgiving Day with my family a dozen years ago that, again, you know, they bought into it. And we said, how about we just do a little something we did? If I told you how much more meaning that Thanksgiving had than other more gluttonous years, yeah. you you can't buy it. No. You literally can't buy it. And the same with whether it's the foot massage or something else you've done where you've acted on a positive impulse, the return on that is indescribable. I could say it, but unless somebody's experienced, unless they know it in the way that you said it, and I think psychology tells us we're seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. Yeah. If you're open to whatever the, the adventure brings or the journey brings, knowing that it's not always about the destination. Climbing Mount Katahdin with my brother-in-laws and my nephews was, you know, just just tremendous. But <clears throat> as most people probably know, it didn't come without, you know, pain or discomfort. Yeah, of course. It was all that. <clears throat> but the destination became more meaningful. What advice would you give to someone who was just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, knowing what you've gone through over the last two years? Well, I'll go back to something you said, which is believe in the power of your mind. And again, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what your sources are for motivation and inspiration. 
but they're all outside of you until you act on them and embrace them. So I think for me, what was the most helpful, and again, I didn't have to invent it that day, but I I did sort of have to reinvent it. And that was a belief in your own power, which is the power of your mind, the power of your body, you know, the power, power of your spirit and, and embrace that and, and use that to your, yours, your family's, your caregiver's benefit moving forward. And, and what will happen, I think, naturally for most people is you really have to do it on a daily basis. There's no more hypothetical that when I'm 75, how would I handle arthritis? You're, that's your day-to-day. That's your priority. That's ever-present. It'll never go away. People call it the new normal. You know, every day for me for a long time had been the new normal. This is really a new normal. But to believe in the power of what you have, uh, up to and including your self-advocacy and all the rest. But uh, that's that to me was really critical. And like I said, yeah, I revealed some things here that I haven't shared with many people, which is I would literally look in the mirror in the morning. And I don't mean to be dismissive of anybody's prior experience in the history of the world, but I look like I had been, you know, starved for for months. I mean, at 5'8", 165, I was never a stout individual. But when you go down, I was my lowest was 118 dressed. And, and literally, I would then just smirk in the mirror and say, but boy, will this be rewarding when you come back from that, you know? And so the power of it, and that, and that it's your power uh, waiting to be, you know, released or used more or more efficiently or better than you've ever used it, I think is, is you know, the, the singular answer I'd give. But I would go back to say, please, if anybody's out there, I say to my wife, you know, my wife could die before I do. We don't know that. We think that I've been given the death sentence, but we simply don't know. And my experiences in the fire service spoke to that okay. weekly, sometimes daily. But the other thing that I think it was important to say, even for people who've been diagnosed, which is don't continue to wait. You don't have the time. So, you know, I was fortunate that my wife and I starved on purpose to pay for the college educations. But lo and behold, when I was diagnosed, we didn't have debt that other people have. We have debt, but not like other people have. There are firefighters who buy $60,000 pickup trucks that will never tow anything or never go off-road. Well, that's a that's a payment with insurance and uh, taxes that I didn't have to, you know, worry about. Now, again, I'm not saying pe- for people not to enjoy the yeah. great pleasures that they can, but start now to say, what does that mean? and And what kind of investments do I make? And at the early part of your diagnosis, if you have scars in your marriage or your work, start that day to say, what do I need to make, you know, how do I repair this a little bit? And, you know, that that might mean a conversation with your significant others in your family that, you know, I'm sorry for anything in the past, but, uh, you know, I, you're going to be my rock moving forward. How can I make that easier for you? Whatever. But, but people have... I understood that it all comes down to investments, you know, emotionally, spiritually, physically, economically. And if you didn't start it before, you know, that's the day to say, okay, you know, what do do I do? Let's do this. And um, again, for your own benefit, if you want to look at it selfishly or for your family's benefit. And that, to me, worked its way into very clear, concise dialogue with my caregivers, i.e. the doctors and the oncology nurses, which worked to my benefit. So I'd say those two things. So powerful because uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, being in this business, 
you know, being around it for 10 years. My dad was diagnosed in December of 08, and then Project Purple was founded in 2010. I have to say that the people that embrace that ideology, not that it's an ideology, but embrace that mindset, let's say, of having those conversations, go through that journey with ease. Right. And what I mean by that is, I can't tell you how many families I've seen that, and people that haven't had closure of various things, not just of the reality of the disease, but other issues financially, uh, property, you know, uh, you name it, you know, if we pro I probably have seen it in some aspect within the family dynamic and how negative that becomes on top of what they're battling through, you know? So it's, that's really, really powerful stuff. I mean, and that's powerful beyond the disease as well, Bill, you know, for people that are just listening to this, that aren't fighting pancreatic cancer to kind sure. of, Sure. self-reflect and like realize that right you and i could have been friends long before your dad and we yeah. probably were like-minded enough where we could have these conversations mm -hmm. in simpler terms yeah and now say relative ease but that's why in this conversation and any that i have with anybody i weave in there that imagine it just being practical mm -hmm. you know forget the psychosocial psychological yeah. pieces to it yeah but imagine it just from a practical standpoint and if people could do that so forget that, you know, Bill DeFord happens to be a believer in some otherworldly being, you know, he's spiritual or whatever. Yeah. Just make it practical. And I think what I found with my brother particularly was that people are fearful of dying, but they're fearful of dying for a lot of reasons. Some is the unknown. Some is, is are they going to have a legacy? Legacy. My buddy worried about being a dad and his son, you know, being without a father. Those things all factor in. But there are a lot of reasons from practical standpoints that people – are, are afraid of dying. And, and some of that is loose ends. Some yeah. of it is, you know, you know, more practical than, and I, and I think that is powerful, but, but I think people get caught up in the sort of the spiritual dimensions of it when a lot of it is, is purely practical. You know, yeah. I've wondered, you know, do you have enough life insurance? Have we done the first will and Testament? So when you get to the last will and Testament, <laughs> Yeah. You know, that's, that's yeah. sort of pessimistic that you're going to do your yeah. will, but, but you haven't written out your kind of game plan. I wrote yeah. out a game plan a long time ago about being a husband and a father. That was yeah. my first will and testament, yeah. you know, but tying up some of those loose ends and and wondering when I die, what will it mean? Did I, did, was there some meaning to that? And I shared with my brother's friends and even with my family that, you know, my brother Keith, he has a legacy in me, he has a legacy in my kids, his spirit of generosity you know, my my son and daughter's children might not be able to track it back to him because they didn't know him, but they'll know it because it was a thread woven through the fabric of my son's life, mm. you know. And and again, that's important to imagine, to reflect on, you know, to become, to share. And again, just imagine it being practical and not spiritual that, you know, were there people that I should have said some things to? I didn't act on positive impulses. There's a practical application of that, that you know, did you say to people, hey, you meant something to me, you know, and I, and that's, that might not be considered a loose end, but from a practical standpoint, you know, I'd want to tell somebody, you know, I got this from you and I don't know if I ever told you that, you know, it's I powerful. guess if I died, I, w I would have wished I said that yeah. to, you know, my buddy Dennis or my buddy John or, or my wife for that matter yeah. that I was fortunate, Dino, a long time ago, within a couple of years of my marriage. My wife and I were sitting on the couch and I said to her, you know, 
if I died a day after my honeymoon, I would have been able to say that I had the best life of anybody I knew. Now, I said that to her a long time ago now. Now imagine it, almost 57 years old, to have lived that life along the way. And again, I'm greedy. I want a lot more. But boy, what kind of reconciliation of that is that to have said that to my wife and to have meant it and believed it and all the rest? You know, I'm fortunate I did that back then. But if not, if I had to do it today to say, I don't know if if words would be adequate to say to you what a great best friend you've been for a long time. That's important. And if I was like my brother last week dying in a hospice center that I'd be able to say, you know, that I shared that with somebody really important in my life, you know. In my case, I lived it. And that was great and what a great gift. But if not, if I had to tie that up now, I think for people I know who have died, there's only one person who's still alive who I know who's had cancer. She's a great friend of mine, but a lot of people have died in between. I think they probably would all say the same thing, that those days leading up to it, that would have been important to me Mm. from a practical standpoint. Forget, am I going to get into heaven or not? You know, my wife and I have joked about that for a long time that, you know, God up there was going to say, well, Uh, you did some decent things. Yeah, you did some okay things. You did some okay things. You're on the wait list. You're on the wait list, yeah. That's powerful stuff, Bill. Um, And I have uh, one last question for you. What is the greatest gift you've either received or realized? So not necessarily something that something was given to you, but it cost you the least. Wow. This is going to sound like it should have cost me a lot, but relationships, they, I, I think, again, people want all the pleasure and none of the pain. But what I found in relationships is we don't have to like or be liked by everybody. So I was very fortunate a long, long time ago that I appreciated that, that I'm not going to be for everybody and not everybody's going to be for me. So I sort of had different groups, you know, certainly my family and my my immediate family and my extended family and my friends were sort of in one category at one end. And then people at the other end who I might have envisioned should change their personality or temperament would be an infrequent contact or whatever. But by sort of building this, you know, continuum of relationships, I found that it was very easy. I would decide fairly quickly if they're in one group or another. Like I said, you and I 12 years ago would have been fast friends just by what I've come to know of you. Uh, what a great, great gift. And it's come at relative ease. But I think it's come at ease because with greater ease because I haven't assumed that everybody's going to like me or that I need to like everybody else. Yeah. So my my phraseology around that or my saying around that is friendly with everybody, friends with few, and that's okay. So that's been the best gift and been relatively easy because of my mindset around it, you know. And the other is, so so that'd be the easy version. The other is when it comes to family, who you don't always, can't always choose, what I have found is whatever hardness or challenge or fears that I've had have been dwarfed, absolutely dwarfed by the exponential enrichment to my life. So my son, who I don't think he'd mind if I say this now that he's married for a month and a half, a few years back, he he uh, owned a house with a girl, college sweetheart. They've been together eight years this, this summer when they got married. He and I are on a fishing in a canoe. And I think he's sort of exploring this. And he said, Pops, got a question for you. I said, what's that, Sean? And he said, 
I want to talk to you about marriage and having kids. And I said, I casted the line and I said, not a good day. And he goes, what do you mean? He was sort of surprised, you know, <laughs> get talk the year off the fish, you know, whatever. Uh, I said, not a good time because here I am fishing with one of my three best friends in the world. And you're going to ask me about marriage and having children. I go, I'm just so biased about this. You know, I, I just feel so strongly about it. I go, here I am fishing with one of my three best friends. It, yeah. If I was not married and had kids, this would not have happened. So I did it on purpose. So I can tell you, it was the most frightening. Am I going to be the right person for my wife? Am I going to be an honorable enough person? Am I going to be this person I want to be in the world for this other person? I now have greater responsibility. That came with a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty. And you were a honeymoon baby. My wife called me to say I'm pregnant. I'm like... <laughs> Really, you know, and then so from in utero through all of your school years to even now, it has been frightening on some levels, but incredibly enriching that has dwarfed that. And I said, not only that, I learned something new, which is somebody told me it never goes away. When you become a grandparent, now you like relive it all over again. And I went, ah, crap, you know. Uh, so, so that was, so if I think of even the hardest things, they've been the greatest gifts because again, how my life has been bettered by that has literally obliterated whatever fears that I've had in doing it. So I would just add that piece that I've had some great gifts that have come with relative ease. Part of it is, you know, being in our country with all that we've had, but the other part even personally has been, you know, been a lot of great gifts. Some of them have come with some hardness, fear, and insecurities, but they have literally paled in comparison to, you know, all that it's been. That's uh, powerful and amazing. And I think you just summed up our entire conversation about, you know, these things that are scary, but you, I wrote this down one minute, one hour, one day. Yeah. And how gratifying and how life changing and how powerful that is in this whole adventure of life that you've been on. So last thing, Bill, if for people listening at home, maybe there's someone out there that just got diagnosed. How can they get in touch with you if you want to give out that information or if there's family members um, that yeah. have someone battling and they want to reach out to you? What's the best way? Sure. I, I give people my cell phone uh, and I do that liberally. And so I'll give that now if it's okay. That's, it's all, totally up to you. And then I'll add a qualifier to it. So my cell phone is 860-916-0588. The qualifier is please just let me know where you're coming from, meaning I heard it on a podcast or I'm a friend with Dino, only because it'll give me the context in which uh, somebody might be calling. The other thing is I think it's important for people to know that I, I, I probably made this sound easier. Uh, than it is. So when you say one minute, one hour, one day, they're words until you act on them. And there's been plenty of days where I've had to just say to myself, just get through this next minute, just get through this next hour. Don't imagine the whole day is going to suck because it probably isn't and rarely has it. Uh, but it sounds pretty easy. So if somebody calls me, uh, what I try to do, and I've had a lot of contacts and I hope that it's been helpful, but what I try to do is personalize it to the person it doesn't mean we have to be friends. It doesn't mean maybe I can point you to a book that I read that's completely unrelated to cancer or, th or this part of the adventure uh, that I really just try to personalize it. And so I would tell people that use it or lose it as you see fit. Uh, edit as you seem 
to think is necessary, but I think it's really important that people know that every part of this is personal. My wife's experience is very similar to most other caregivers and family that I know, which is vastly different than the, the patient or the one diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same with that. You know, there's a lot of similarities, but there are a lot of differences. So uh, keep your own power and, and use it as it works best for you. You know, it's not about Bill DeFord or Dino Varelli. And, and, you know, I call you and I pitch something to you and then we might not talk for a month or yeah. two. But I think people have to know that that this is yours and, and hold it close and for all it's worth, but that it's, it's highly personal. Yeah. Well, Bill, this has been awesome, and uh, I'm going to close on this. Um, You know, people come into people's lives, I truly believe this, uh, at various times. Try not to get emotional, but I might. Um, You remind me so much of my dad. And so uh, thank you for coming into my life at this time um, because uh, it's a constant reminder of my dad and uh, a lot of qualities. I was thinking about that this morning when I went running and I told Jim that, Jim Trasky, and I said, you know, I, I said, uh, he said, what, what's it about Bill? We had the whole office and he's like, there's something about Bill. And I said, he reminds me of my dad, you know? And so uh, thank you for coming into our office and sharing with the audience and this podcast has so many meanings on so many different levels. So I hope our listeners at home appreciate that. You know, whether you are battling pancreatic cancer, and if you're not, there's so many lessons to be learned on this. And this has got to be, you know, we've been doing this. This is probably going to be our 25th or 27th episode. And uh, that's tremendous. By far, this has been my favorite. So thank you for coming in and you're allowing welcome. us to share your story, uh, which is amazing. So thank you. Just so the listeners know, I don't need to suck up to anybody. <laughs> I don't need more friends, but if they come my way, I'll take them. But the work that you're doing is is tremendously meaningful and valuable. And that's, I'm even more humbled to hear that about your dad. And that's a reminder to people that there's a legacy that ripples through everything. And what a great, if I'm sure your dad, because I'm a believer, I'm not going to show up at your doorstep with a Bible, but <laughs> I'm a believer. I'm sure your dad's looking down from heaven and saying, wow, if that's what came of your dad's cancer, you know, what a great gift to the world that is. So please know that from me, Dino, personally, because I call you and I talk with you, but for the listeners out there, know that that's, that's a big, that's the bigger picture. So thank you very much. And I'm humbled to do it. And I hope it's helpful to people and and people can call me, but you and I'll be friends to whatever it takes we're us, together so. on this adventure bill you got um, it, i'll take you to uh, we're going to six flags all right a couple great. weeks <laughs> that's a wrap <laughs> folks thank you